When I was an older teenager and a young adult just coming into political consciousness, I was really afraid that we were going to destroy life on the planet through nuclear war. Some of you remember those days. And then as the Cold War kind of fizzled out, the Berlin Wall came down, and our consciousness about threats of disaster shifted to other things. I remember reading a book that argued that the three most important issues we should be working on at that time, then, were conflict between religions, racism, and gender inequity. Now, it can be pretty overwhelming to think of all the myriad issues that clamor for our attention, all the various causes we're called to work on, educate ourselves about, and take action for change. But at this time, as I look back on those years and the years since then, it seems to me that all along I've been in denial, maybe we as a culture have been in denial, about a creeping silent problem that I believe now is a root concern that's the biggest threat to the continued existence, not just of human life, but of all of life on the planet. And I would name that as consumerism. It's easy to be in denial about this, partly because our narratives of success and our economy thrive on us being in denial about dangers of consumerism. But the idea that material comfort and pleasure is the highest value in life, that what it means to be successful is to seek pleasure and comfort successfully is a tremendous threat in our times. Now, that's not to say that more quiet issues have gone away or are not real problems that command our attention as well. And it's not helpful just to hear another talk about how we should consume less stuff if our response is just to feel more guilty about all the stuff that we consume. To hear another talk about trying harder to live in harmony with nature is not particularly helpful. But what if there was some treasure we could teach our young people about, some treasure we could experience ourselves that would be so compelling that we actually wanted to use less stuff, to live in right relationship with earth and with each other. So that's what I've been thinking about this week preparing this talk. And I think about how if we go back as far as we have records of human thought, there have always been people who have argued that the highest value is pleasure, ease. Ancient voices said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. And there are plenty of people who still believe that that is the most real value, pleasure. 
But going back to ancient times, there have also been voices who have said, no, wait a minute. There are some, some other values, treasures, things that are worth even more than our material ease or our pleasure. Things like justice or compassion, for instance. And in a sense, all religions arose out of these metaphysical questions about what gives life purpose or meaning. Recently, I've been reading a book by Houston Smith, the great scholar of comparative religion. He's really the one who, beginning in the 1950s, his work and scholarship brought consciousness and education about Eastern religions, particularly Hinduism and Buddhism, to the United States. So a fairly recent book he wrote is entitled, Why Religion Matters. And in it, he related the story of Ernst Haeckel, a 19th century zoologist, who said that if he could have one question answered authoritatively, it would be, is the universe a friendly place? Now, I've heard that question ascribed to Albert Einstein as well. The records of someone asking Albert Einstein, what's the one question you'd like to have an answer to? Or what's the most important question of our time? And he said, it's the question of whether or not the universe is a friendly place. I'm pretty convinced that we live as if we don't think the earth is a friendly place. Our relationship to the earth is often about dominating it, being afraid of nature, and certainly it would be hard to argue that we treat the earth as if we are friendly toward the earth. J.H. Holmes said the universe is not hostile nor yet is it friendly, it's simply indifferent. So sometimes we just treat the physical earth reality as maybe not as something that's our opponent, but just something that really isn't very important. As if nature was just a backdrop or a movie set for human drama. As if what happens among humans is the only important thing. And the material realm is not really important at all. We live as if we are on earth rather than being aware that we are earth. We are earth. And everything we do is part of the cosmology as well. So... When we think about, when I think about what Houston Smith talks about in this book, Why Religion Matters, he argues that we as humans will never be peaceful, we'll always be restless and yearning, unless we have some compelling ways of understanding purpose and meaning of life. Science is not a story that is in opposition with an answer or meaning that will work in the future. On the other hand, science won't give us all the answers either. 
unless we're willing to think that science can teach us about values like justice and love and compassion. Max Weber, great sociologist and philosopher, talked about how in ancient times, ancient wisdom, people he and others called primitive peoples, understood the world as a lovely enchanted garden. There's almost a wistfulness or a nostalgia sometimes for a simpler worldview where we could have a sense of belonging, where we didn't have to feel so lonely in the cosmos. And yet, I'm not suggesting some kind of attempt to return to a simple naivete. There are a lot of problems with romanticizing or valorizing more traditional worldviews. I don't think that's the answer. And yet we see all around us in our culture way attempts, attempts to find answers or support in more traditional worldviews. I think about the popularity of a musical setting for the poetry of Max Ehrman that was very popular, I think in the maybe in the 60s, but for sure in the 70s. Maybe some of you remember it. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Kind of comfort in thinking about a vision in which our lives are a part of something bigger, something that has value, purpose, and meaning. So Houston Smith's argument is that the only way we'll make peace in our own lives as a people is to come back to these questions of ultimate meaning, these metaphysical questions or religious questions, not to return to traditional kinds of answers or dogmatic answers, but to approach them with a spirit of exploration, discovery, and wonder. Whether you're a person who thinks that pleasure and ease really is the highest value, or a person who would push back against that, maybe you'd be willing to agree with me about this. The kind of consumerism that we, most of us, live out of, privileged, affluent, overconsumption of our lifestyles, is simply not sustainable. This week I watched a documentary entitled Which Way Home? Have Anybody seen it? Which Way Home? It's available to watch live streaming, and it was shown at Circle Cinema recently. It's about child migrants, immigrants, 100,000 children a year crossing from Mexico to the United States illegally. 100,000 a year illegally, minors. And this documentary shares the story of some of those children and some of the reasons why they would come. Most of them from Central America, not from Mexico, but from Central and South America. Making that hazardous journey, so many die or are killed along the way. 
thinking about the kind of grinding poverty in Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala. In 1997, I was on a trip with Witness for Peace, visiting with sweatshop workers in Nicaragua. And I did a homestay for just a couple of days with a family, two adults, and seven children who lived in what many of us would think of as a pretty poor chicken shack, uh, about eight by ten, made out of with walls of aluminum and cardboard tin. And they had a, one light bulb, one electrical outlet, a water spigot outside in the mud yard, a latrine, a fire for cooking food outside. But they had a TV, a little old black and white TV, and they saw images of how we live. And I remember sitting there watching with some of those children, this TV blaring in Spanish, and a commercial came on, a commercial I had seen before, a commercial about cats eating some really kind of fancy cat food, right? So you've, maybe you've seen it. So a cat on a white tablecloth eating cat food out of a crystal or china dish and watching that in that context with those children, it seemed really different. Their mother had just told me that day that in their neighborhood, they usually don't name children until they're about a year old because so many die before their first birthday. No amount of border security will fix the problems of economic inequity between the way we live and the way so many people of the world live. And we don't want those immigrants or migrants crossing our borders and our land because we might not have as much pleasure and affluence. It might affect the security of our stuff, our ease and our comfort. Yet, we're willing to let pipelines cross our land and our communities whether we're talking about economic problems, immigration problems, it's important to understand the connections with those problems and the problems of the environment, the ways in which all these problems are connected. And in our arrogance, we keep seeking vain attempts to solve our problems through more technology so that we can get what we want, our pleasure, our affluent, comfortable lifestyles figure out a way to get that out of nature. And ironically, we're missing some of the most amazing treasures that surround us in nature all the time that we're oblivious to, that we don't even know about. This week I learned about a new superfood that's far, far more nutritious than spinach. Now, just think about all of the problems with global food production that could be solved if we discovered treasures in nature that are all around us that we're oblivious to. 
There's a cheesy movie from the 19, early 1990s entitled Free Willy. My kids liked it. Maybe some of you remember the film. But there's a wonderful scene in it where a man from a native culture tells this young boy who's the main character in the film, 300 years ago, he said, my people only had to spend one day a week gathering food and everybody was able to eat enough. The young kid was really perplexed by that, and he said, well, what did people do all the rest of the time? They just had to work one day a week. And the elders said, well, they told stories, made music, made carvings, made babies. There are treasures that were missing because of our over-processed, over-technological, over-developed way that we're trying to live. I've been really encouraged by the new television documentary Cosmos, A Space Odyssey. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's the Neil deGrasse Tyson series that's a follow-up of the old Carl Sagan version of Cosmos from the 1980s. And in through this, Tyson is helping us think about entering into wonder about mysteries in material reality that surround us all the time that we're oblivious to to broaden our story, to invite us more deeply into mystery. I think if we stop worrying so much about trying to teach children to save the earth and rather take the approach of teaching them and ourselves to savor, to savor the cosmos, then we might be able to embrace powers that we've been ignorant of, powers in nature who are trying to help us. One of my favorite writers that I've discovered in recent years is David Abrams. I read an excerpt from one of his books earlier. My favorite of his books is entitled The Spell of the Sensuous. And in it, he argues that nature is reaching out, trying to communicate with us. You know the way... You know how children can be so engaged, some adults too, trying to communicate with animals, just intrigued with animals, trying to reach out to them and engage them? David Abram argues that trees, plants, animals are equally curious about us humans, equally interested in being partners in solving problems in the cosmos with us. And there's more joy more rest, more meaning and deep peace that are treasures available to us when we live in right relationship with nature and with other people. I mentioned earlier a new superfood that I heard about this week that's so much more nutritious. Dandelions. Dandelions. So for me, this is the metaphor of the kind of problem that I'm talking about. How much time and energy have we spent in our lives trying to eradicate dandelions? But Joe Robinson's new book, Eating on the Wild Side, 
which, encouragingly enough, is on the bestseller list right now, is documents this. Joe Robinson says, compared to spinach, which we consider a superfood, a dandelion has twice as much calcium, three times as much vitamin A, five times more vitamin K and E, and eight times more antioxidants. So there we have it. The extremes that we go to to try and dominate and change nature while we consume junk. And all the time, there are treasures around us that we're missing. Thank you, Hope Unitarian Church, for your witness in Tulsa, for the vision of knowing that this kind of a setting And this kind of a community is a step in the right direction toward a more sustainable and joyous life. 